0: I always love coming up with a little bit of a challenge. Actually, it's not much of a challenge. No, thank you. <laughs> Boy, isn't Thanksgiving great? Boy, was that last song powerful? How God is so great, so powerful, so amazing. And one of the things that as we get into um, the Word this morning... My prayer is that we walk away knowing that is our God. That is our God. That's not just something that we sing about. That is our God. So um, we're going to be in Genesis still. We're going to be in Genesis 12. Um, last week, Doug did a great job. Didn't he talking about Abram's call? I, I love that message. And, and the thing I love about that message is just the understanding that that Abraham wasn't qualified to be called by God. I mean that's so comforting because wouldn't it be so difficult if we felt like we had to live up to some expectation that God had for us before he could call us and use us. And Doug said did such a great job of helping us understand that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Isn't that good news? That he calls us, and then he goes about preparing us and using us. That is such good news. And, and this morning, I want us to, to kind of continue to look at Abram as he uh, walks with the Lord and as God has called him to see how it all kind of works out. We're going to go through the last 17 verses of Genesis 12. So if you turn with me to Genesis 12, it should be pretty easy to find. Go to the beginning and count 12 chapters. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. We're going to go through the next 17 verses. And uh, the interesting thing about this is we're just going to go through these verses. And I'm going to make a couple of comments. I'm going to point out a few things. Um, It's going to be as laid back as our acoustic worship service. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And then in verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for his sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Praise God that he qualifies the call, doesn't call the qualified. We're going to kind of walk through this passage, and I want to highlight a few things that I think are really important for us to take away as we look at this passage. And I think it'll be an encouragement to us. You know, I just, I'm so... um, amazed at God and and God's desire to use us. So let's just get into this real quick. As we get into this passage, as we read verse 4 and 5, it says, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, Lot his nephew, all the possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And the first thing I want us to notice as we read this is that when God calls, we must respond. I mean, God has a calling, and the calling really isn't all that significant if we don't go, amen? So when God calls us, we need to respond. It's important to respond. He has a plan for us. And some of you may be sitting here going, well, yeah, but, but I don't know what God is calling me to. I mean, if he would just tell me what my calling is, I would respond, right? So I want to help you with a little bit of that because I don't think it's as, as uh, nebulous as we may think. And I think there's things that we can know that God is calling us to that we can respond to today. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. And then if you want to go home and read this, there's a whole bunch more in here that you probably could find. Um, First, I want to talk about John 13. John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 35. And he says to his disciples, he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, this is an easy one. See, God has called us here in this body to love each other. Because as we love each other, people will see our love for each other and know that we are his disciples. Isn't that easy? So so for us to come in, all we need to do is come and love each other. And I know you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's easy, but she sat in my seat. (laughs) It's easy for you to say because he's not standing behind you singing off key while I'm trying to worship. but we can love each other and as we love each other, people will see that we're Jesus' disciples, okay? Let me give you another one. Men and wives, if you're married, this one is really a good one for you to internalize, go home and study. Write this down, okay? You have your bulletin and stuff, okay? The reason that you have that is for the notes on the back. So on the note on the back, write this down. Ephesians five, verse 22 through 33. So if you're married, God is calling you to have a relationship together as husbands and wife that Ephesians 5 talks about. You're called to that. You need to respond to that. Now, I I see all the wives writing down the verse and none of the men, so um, I don't know if they're gonna read it, so let me tell you sort of what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, I just spoiled it. For you guys, now you're really not gonna love it, read it. But it also says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. God had called us to have a loving relationship. If we read Ephesians 5 and understand what God has called us to in our marriage, it makes for a powerful relationship together as husbands and wives. Let me give you another one. This is really, uh, um, it's, it's for all of us, but could be really impactful for those of you that are Younger. Okay, for the younger generation, because I think this impacts you in a powerful way. In Romans 12, Paul says this in the first two verses. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. God calls us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, let me read the next um, verse. The next verse says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is our calling. And this is a challenge for some of us that may be younger because you guys are in a culture right now where conforming to the environment around you is very, very easy to do because the, the environment around you has the Sin has become the norm, and when you choose not to comply, when you choose to really be countercultural from everything around you that's saying, this is okay, 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 okay. I don't know why you're making a big deal out of this, and you're going to be somebody who does not conform to that, but allows God to transform you into his child, you are going to be living a radically different life than most of the people around you. That's a challenge, to be called to that. But that's what God wants to do in your life. I'll give you one more, then we'll move on. Matthew 6, when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. God has called us to be stewards of that which he has given us. That that we would lay up treasures in heaven, not store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust are going to destroy it all. See, it's easy to read this and go, well, yeah, Abraham's called, he's going to go into Canaan. But when we go, well, I don't know if God called me to that. But when we begin to come to the Lord and say, what have you called me to, Lord? There is stuff in here that he is calling us to on a daily basis if we will listen to him and if he'll respond. And it doesn't help if he calls me to be a good steward of my finances if I don't respond to him, right? But when, when, when the impact happens is when I hear his call and I respond to his call. And that's different for all of us. It, it's God's relationship with us that we have as God leads us and as he calls us. So enough of that, let's move on. Verse six, Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountains on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so we have, we have Abram now coming into the land of Canaan. As he is in the land of Canaan, he looks around and he notices there are a lot of people in this land. This must not be where God is gonna show me. And God appears to him and talks to him. And, and, and what I want us to see in this in this passage is this point. When God calls, he leads. God doesn't call us and then just leave us hanging out there. God calls us and then he leads us. He continues to communicate with us. So Abraham gets into the land of Canaan. He notices that there's Canaanites in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham. The Lord took the initiative to appear to Abraham. And he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. And then here's the powerful thing about responding to God's call. It says, Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. To me, this is powerful. Doug, Doug's been talking about this for several weeks. I hope you guys do better than the early service. What has God been saying that's the most important thing that these five books have been written about? What are these five books about? What is, what it, what's being communicated through these five books? One main principle. Out loud. God. Yes. There's one God, Doug. The first service did not get it. I was shocked. I'm going to give him some preaching lessons on how to communicate a message. One God. There's one God. So here is Abram building an altar. Abraham who was called out of a culture of many gods in a land, Canaan, full of Canaanites who worship many gods and he builds an altar to the one true God. What a powerful statement that he makes saying I'm planting my flag here with my God. God appeared to him. God convinced him there's one God, only one God. And Abram says, I believe that, and I'm planting my flag here. I'm building an altar so that I worship and communicate with this God only. And then he moves forward to another spot outside Shechem and Ai, I mean, Bethel and Ai. And then it says he builds another altar, and then he calls on the name of the Lord. God appears to Abram. Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. He builds an altar, and the interesting thing about this passage is it said that when he, when he went there, it says he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the east. See, God said, this is the land I'm gonna give your descendants, so what did he do? He moved on and says, if this is my land, I'm pitching my tent here, and I'm gonna build an altar here in the land that God gave me, and I'm gonna call on the one true God And allow him to be the one who leads me and guides me and directs me. When God calls, he leads. Abraham responded to that. And then it says in verse 9 that he journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So Abraham keeps moving, and the Negev is like an arid part of Canaan, so why he's moving, and uh, we don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us anything. We just know that he moved there, there was a famine, and he goes to Egypt. And this is the important part of this, which could be why he built an altar and he called upon the Lord. Maybe it was already starting to become more of a famine. But, but here's the thing I want us to really get in the midst of this. And this, this, this is almost as important to remember as the fact that the first five books are about one, one God, okay? Is this, is it, is it, There are famines even when you are where God wants you. I want you to get this. There are famines even when you are where God wants you. God came and appeared to Abram and said, This is the land I'm going to give to your descendants. And then there's a famine. Abram was where God wanted him, and yet there was a famine. And people, we have to understand this because we have famines that happen in our life, don't we? There are times when things just seem to dry up a little bit. They don't just seem to be as, as fertile and as vibrant as they used to be. Could be in our marriages where it just doesn't seem like it was. it's, it's just drying up a little bit. Could be, could be financial. Just, I mean, there's things that happen to us where famines occur in our life. That doesn't necessarily mean you aren't where God wants you. You could be exactly where God wants you, and yet you could be experiencing some difficult times. And if we can understand that, it allows us to continue to move forward during those difficult times because I can almost promise you that you're in one of three places. You are either in the middle of a famine right now or you're coming out of one or you're getting ready to go into one. It's kind of how life is. And if we understand that, then we don't always have to go, God, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? Did I make a mistake? Did I you know, you may be right where God wants you and that you're in the midst of it. Because here's the thing about tests that that I think if we understand this, it will help us in in this process. If there's no test, there's no testimony, right? I mean, if, if there's no test, then there's no opportunity for our faith to be strengthened. If it's easy, we don't have to trust God. We don't have to believe God. We got it. If there's no test then there's really no opportunity for God to prove himself faithful. When we're in the midst of a situation that seems out of our control and God is able to be faithful in that. And and without a test, there's no way for God to get our attention. Because isn't it true that sometimes we just got it? We we got it. We're in control. We got it. Lord, don't worry about it. I don't need you. I'm okay. Got it. And sometimes God has to get our attention to go, time out, Dave. You don't got it. So so we could be in the middle of a tough time and be right where God wants us. I want you to be encouraged with that, okay? So let's read on, verses 11 through 13. And it came about when he came near Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Um, I love this verse because, you know, Abraham's the father of faith, and um, I just take, I just, I get a lot of hope when I see Abraham do this, because Abraham is like a typical guy, Right? I mean, he's going into this situation. And how many of you guys are just problem solvers? You know, your wives hate you because they come and go, you know, this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. Well, if you do this, 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 and this, you'll be okay, right? And then she goes, I hate you. (laughs) What? I'm just just solving the problem. Okay, we're problem solvers. Okay, so so Abraham's going into into Egypt, and he's thinking, you know, um, i got to think this thing through because she's she's beautiful. Um, All the Egyptians have ugly wives. So this could be a problem. (laughs) Um, so how do I minimize the risk? You know, that's what we do. Maximize the, the advantage, minimize the risk. I got to minimize this risk. So how do I minimize this risk? I know. Why don't you tell them that you're my sister? Because actually you are, right? Don't we do that? Because if you don't know, Sarai was born, uh, you know, Abraham, they had the same father, but they had different mothers. So technically, they're, they're, they're brother and sister, and I'll let Doug cover that whole thing of how that happens, but um, technically that's true. So he can, he, he can preach on, on that other stuff after. And, and of course, you know, you wives know that we do this as men, right? I mean, he probably didn't think this thing through completely, right? Pharaoh, <laughs> really? I mean, how could I know that? Come on. Now, now Sarai probably was like most of you wives, I can picture this. She goes, honey, um, I I really don't think this is a good idea. Uh, You know, um, you really want to do this? I mean, you really want me to say I'm your sister? Uh, Have you thought this thing through, Abram? Have you really thought it through all the implications and all that kind of stuff? Um, I, I don't know if it's that good of an idea, but you know, if you really think it's a good idea, okay, I'll follow your lead, right? Isn't that what you guys do, wives? okay i'll follow your lead i mean i, I don't know i don't know what happened all, all seriousness aside we don't know what happened we don't know we just know that sarah that abram said hey here's what we need to do and that's what they did but i really do want us to look at this because here is abram problem solving um something that he's going to be in minus god's promise And this is where we get in trouble when we forget God's promise and we start problem-solving our circumstances. Let's look at God's problem in light of Abraham's problem-solving skills, okay? Here's what God told him in chapter uh, verses one through three. I'm gonna gonna send you to a land that I will show you. He says, go to a land I will show you. Okay, was, was Egypt the land that God was gonna show Abraham? No, okay. I will make you a great nation. Can Abram become a great nation without a wife? Okay, probably not, right? Um, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. Can any of those things happen if Abram's dead? So, when we really think about what God is calling us to and the promises that God gives us, we really have to problem solve and move forward based on what we know God has already told us, right? And so Abraham did this whole problem solving process um, apart from God's promises. There's no way what he was fearing could happen if God is faithful to do what he said he was gonna do, amen? Amen. And here's the thing that we tend to do so often as people, don't we? We tend to see a situation and then we continue to, we take it to like the worst case scenario. You know, oh man, if I go to the store, I'm probably going to get a flat tire. I'm going to get a flat tire. I'm going to get mugged and then to steal all my money. And then I'm going to end up in Czechoslovakia. As a, and then we just come up with this worst case scenario of what could possibly go wrong. And if we just, if we just, Listen to God's promises and respond when he calls us. Life could be so much easier than what happens. And of course, he didn't count on what was going to happen in 14, 15, and 16 because it says when they came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was beautiful. He was right there. Pharaoh's officials saw that, that she was beautiful and praised her to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh took her into his house. And this is interesting because... Abraham said to Sarah, please say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you. And then it says in verse 16, therefore Pharaoh took her in, and then it says, therefore he treated Abraham well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So I doubt that when Abraham was talking to Sarah, he was really thinking about this, and I can't get into what he was thinking, but I'm... If I was him, I would be sitting here going, this is not good. This this is really not good. It was bad enough that Pharaoh grabbed her. That's even worse, now he's starting to give the dowry. Okay, she's my sister and he's giving me all this stuff. This is not good. And, 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 And if I was him, I would be doing my problem solving skills again. Okay, the plan A didn't work. Plan B, there's gotta be a plan B. There's gotta be a plan B. The good news about plan B is God. This is a good news for us that like to problem-solve God's plan for us and get ourselves in a bigger mess than we would have been if we just follow him. So here, here's where God steps in. Verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him." Isn't that interesting? So let's again think about God's call to Abraham. Did this sound like Abraham was being a blessing to Pharaoh? He comes to, Pharaoh comes to Abraham and confronts him about, why did you lie to me? Does this sound like a man with a great name? Yeah, I got a reputation. (laughs) Does Pharaoh feel like he's been blessed through Abraham? What happens when we try to execute God's plan our way? So often, we make a mess of it. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this he put Sarah at risk he put God's plan at risk, he totally messes everything up and then he gets to leave with everything Pharaoh gave him. Is that messed up or is that messed up? Now, if I'm sitting on the outside looking at that, I'm saying, God, that is messed up. I mean, he should leave with nothing except for the tail that's between his legs, right? But that's not how God works. This is a thing that encourages me more than anything else, is this. God's desire is for our growth and development. Our life here on earth is like that. like that. It's like that. It's like that. It's like that. It's so fast that God wants us to develop. And sometimes we make mistakes, but the things that are so important to us really aren't that important to God. There's probably a reason that God had him go with a whole bunch of stuff because he is going to inhabit the, the promised land and the more stuff he has to inhabit the promised land, the better. God has a plan that's bigger than, than Abraham's mistakes. His goal, his desire, is for our growth and development. I love what Paul says when he says, I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's really good news. Especially the part until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that he will continue to perfect it until you're 23 and if you don't get it, it's too late. Right? Until the day of Christ Jesus, he is working on us every day to allow us to grow and develop, to be a servant of his who can respond when he calls and be used by him to glorify his name and further his plan. I don't know about you, but that is really good news for me. And as I think about this, the thing that is encouraging to me as I think about God's love for me, you know, I, I, I really began to understand God's love so much more completely when I became a parent. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was like the third oldest of nine kids, okay? Um, so if, if you want to know why I'm such a mess, I'm the third oldest of nine kids. Um, the, but the thing about this is that, is that you know, once, once my mother had like seven, eight, and nine, um, my mom was a nurse, and my dad was kind of out of the picture by that time, and so she would work. Go, she'd go to work like at 10 at night. She would work all night long. Then she'd come home at 7 o'clock in the morning, okay? F- fairly tired. I don't know why she was tired. You know, we were all up fighting and kicking and screaming. I don't know why she'd get frustrated with us, but she did. Um, so she would come home, and, and she would have a baby in the house. And the baby needed to be fed. The baby needed to be changed. The baby needed to be taken care of, and she needed to go to bed. So guess who got to take care of the baby? Yeah, it's my, well my younger brothers and sisters all so messed up. But you know, for three of my brothers and sisters, I didn't take care of them, but I took care of them. You know what I mean? I I would feed them, I, bottles to baby food to. I took care of them. I changed their diapers. I put. I did. I did a lot of things. And so when Janelle was born, there's no problem. I was I was absolutely stress free because I had done it. I had been there. I'd done it. Marge, on the other hand, was totally freaked out. <laughs> it doesn't look like a nail gun. It doesn't look like a chain. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. So so when she was born, they gave him. Some, she goes, give it to him. <laughs> and, and and when I held Janelle for the first time, I I was totally unprepared for how that would feel. This is is my daughter. This isn't just my little brother. This is my daughter. It was the the most amazing feeling. I, I, I was not prepared for it. And you know what happened at that moment? My heart was just totally focused on her becoming everything God wanted her to become. I wanted her to, to grow in Christ. I wanted her to, to be somebody that God could nurture and care for and direct. And then Marge and I started praying for her husband, that sucker better obey God. Or I mean, we just, and you know what? When, when she, and your parents know this, right? When, you're, when, you're, when your child is like in diapers, do you get mad because they poop their diapers? Of course not. That's what you expect. You don't go, Wow! Well, you should have told me. I could have put you on the pot. I mean, and, w- and when they start learning to walk, do you get mad because they, they're, they're falling over and stuff and go, man, you've been doing this for like two weeks. You should have it figured out by now. You know? And if you're going to fall on your diaper, don't have it messed when you fall on it. What are you thinking? <laughs> right? I mean, we are we, committed as parents to our children's development, aren't we? We're committed as parents to their growth. We want them to grow and develop, and all that we do, as imperfectly as we do it, is for their benefit so that they can grow, and we just want them to grow. I mean, we don't say, well, if you aren't walking by six weeks, you're out of the house. No more diapers, no more clothes, I'm not feeding you anymore. Forget it. I mean, we don't do that, right? And and if we love our kids so perfectly, I mean, when they get to be 16, 17, 18, I think you almost draw the line. Okay, maybe they, maybe not, but... But, um, you know, but but God, God's love for us is way more perfect than that. And you think because Abram made a, a mistake here that, that God didn't say, I know you're learning how to walk. I know you're learning how to trust me. I know you're learning how to grow in your relationship with me. And I'm gonna continue to nurture you. I'm gonna continue to care for you. I'm gonna, con- con- gonna continue to lead you. That's encouraging to me, and I think God um, in his plan knew exactly what was going to happen as far as what he was going to get from Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff. God prevented Pharaoh and Sarai from from messing up his plan, and he's going to do that in our life. He's going to allow us to continue to move forward in order to serve him and to love him. And incidentally, there really wasn't anywhere that I read and I studied it and I read a bunch of commentaries and stuff and I didn't see any, anywhere that, that they said the Bible says that he should not have gone to Egypt. I don't know if he should have or if he shouldn't have. You know, shouldn't have said Sarah was his sister, but, but you know, he, he was doing as, to the best of his ability what, what, what would take care of his family. You know, and I think, I think his heart was right, and, and God just needed some time to get his faith lined up with his heart. And a lot of us are in that same place. We want to serve Jesus, we want to uh, walk with him, but sometimes our faith just isn't quite where our heart is. And God wants us to get there. The one thing I didn't read anywhere in those passages, though, that I'm just curious about, is that from the time he goes to the Negev to the time he leaves Egypt, there's no talk at all about whether he built an altar or not, whether he went to God and asked God for his direction. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand is I don't know whether he should have or he shouldn't have, but I do know that God wants to have a relationship with us and God wants to connect with us. The Psalms tell us, be still and know that I am God. And God has given us his word so that we can understand what he has for us. And, and I think, you know, Abram had altars that he built. He had supernatural appearances of God. He, he was connecting with God. We have the word of God. We have, we have, you know, access to the throne of God through the death of our Savior Jesus Christ. We can come in to the presence of God and, and sit in his presence and have him communicate with us. We can come to his word and he can talk to us. He can share with us. This is so important. And and, you know, there may be some some of you that are sitting there going, yeah, but I I sit down and I try to read the Bible and I just don't get anything out of it. I I just can't get anything out of it. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes we develop a perception because it happened once. We believe that that's how it's going to happen all the time. But I want to encourage you. You are sitting down in the presence of almighty God with his inspired word that he wants to communicate to you through. Give him the opportunity to do that. Don't rule it out right away. Sometimes I think we are kind of like teenagers. Any of you that have teenagers, you know, you sit down with your teenager and you have something so important that you want to tell them and you're going, listen, I really want you to get this and you look at their eyes and you look at their face and they got this blank stare. You ever get that? And you know that you're saying something critical and they're hearing wah, 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 right? Sometimes we come to God and God says, Dave, I have something I really want to show you. And I'm opening this thing up going wah, 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 wah. I mean, we have the living God that wants to talk to us. We need to take that seriously. We need to really understand how powerful that is. He's called us. He wants to lead us. We need to go and find out what he has to say. You know what's, what a lot of us say? We're, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. Let me get it right. So, so I don't have time to sit down with the living God and find out what he wants me to do today. Can, can we internalize that and understand what, what we're saying? What, what could be more important for us to do than to find out what the God of the universe Wants us to do today. What he has to say for us, who he wants us to become, what he wants to do in our lives. I mean, God isn't only a promise making God, he is a promise keeping God. And here's the exciting thing, right? The promise didn't depend on Abram, did it? If the promise depended on Abram, what would have happened? It would have been a train wreck. But it, it depended on God and who God is. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on who God is. The circumstances could be unfavorable, but God is still God. And when we, are, when we come to God and we know that God wants to talk to us, God wants to lead us, and we know that it isn't about our ability or our capabilities, it's about God and God's calling, then we can come confident that, that where we are and what we're doing is gonna be fruitful and abundant based on his plan for us. Okay, I wanna wrap it up with three things that I think are important for us to take with us as we leave, okay? First thing I want us to do is understand that we need to focus on the promise, not the predicament. If we can focus on what God is calling us to, the promises that God has made, rather than the predicament, we are gonna be way better off because circumstances aren't the best predictor of future outcome, right? God is, God's word of promise is that which we can take to the bank to know that it is going to be the predictor of future outcome. If God says it, we know it's going to happen. We know it's going to come. We just have to trust him. We need to continue to move forward. It's his word, not our circumstances, that we are going to, we're going to pitch our tent and, and camp on. The second thing I want us to understand is that we need to focus on the provider, not on our provisions. We need to focus on the provider, not our provisions. See, everything that Abram had when he moved into Canaan was useless to him, wasn't it? Didn't matter how many sheep he had, it didn't matter how many people he had, it didn't matter how many things he had, it didn't matter how much money he had. If there is a famine in the land, He cannot control that. So if he focuses on the provider, not his provisions, then he can move forward based on what God tells him to do and what God's direction is. What if he would have built an altar and said, God, what do you want me to do? And God would have said, just stay put. That's good. Don't worry about it. You think God could have made some fertile place right in the middle of the desert and fed all of his sheep, oxen, people and everything? Of course he could have. So if we focus on God and what God wants us to do, then, then we just have to respond to that trusting that God is big enough to do what he's calling us to do and what he's telling us to do. And it doesn't matter if we're in a famine in the promised land or in, we're in Egypt in the potential problem with my beautiful wife. If I know that God has a promise for me, I can respond to God and walk in obedience and I can focus on on God and his promises, not on the circumstances around me. It's so important for us to get our arms around this. And this is the challenge because we so minimize what God wants to teach us, what God wants to share with us, the power that is in his living word. It's living, it's inspired. It's, it's, It's here to shape us. And then the third thing and the last thing that I want us to, to talk about is we need to focus on following, not on failure. And Doug has been talking about this for the last several months of being people who follow, that we follow. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. He didn't call his disciples, says, go get a PhD in theology, and as soon as you know what systematic theology is all about, then come follow me. He said, just come follow me. Come follow me. And if we are people who are really focused on following, not on our failures, we're going to be people who are, be, who are going to have the capacity to be used by God so much more than if we're always focused on our shortcomings. Because here's a challenge with, um, with our shortcomings is typically when we're focused on our failures and our, our inadequacies, it's usually the enemy that is doing that, Right? Satan is the one who, who condemns. Satan is the one who comes to us and says, man, you are so messed up. I don't think God could ever use you. That, that's probably the last thing now. God has probably written you off now because you know how many things you've done in the last 30 years? I mean, you did, you remember when you did this when you were eight years old? You remember when you did, I mean, I, I, the capacity that the enemy has to have us remember things and then dwell on things and then continue to dwell on our failures and our shortcomings. And then he says, I don't know why you even waste your time going to church. You are such a basket case. And we buy that stuff. And we begin to focus on our failures rather than focusing on who God is, focusing on following him and walking in obedience with him. It's a formula for disaster when we allow Satan to accuse and condemn us rather than to believe that Jesus came to set us free. He didn't come to judge us, but that we would be free why he paid the price. If we were good enough to earn it, if we were good enough to be good enough for it, he wouldn't have to die for us. And again, the way that that happens, the way that we are set free from that is we have to be people who continually come to his word, who continue to understand that, his, that this is his promise. These are the promises he has for us. This is the calling he has for us. And if we come and this becomes our our, our our, our relationship. This is our altar that we build as we come and we pray and we ask for direction and we 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 you know share our hurts. We share stuff with him. We share our sin. We share our failure. We allow him to forgive us. We allow him to show us people like Abraham who screw up and still are able to move forward in the plan. We see people that you know. Last Sunday, Doug outlined some of the greatest men of faith who lived lives that were embarrassing at best. That's the beauty of scripture. This isn't something where we just paint this picture of all these perfect, pretty people. This is, these are people who, who are human beings who have sinned like me and like you. And we can take courage in that and we can take courage in understanding this. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said this to us. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's going to come and he's going to tell you how, what a failure you are. He's going to steal your joy. He's going to kill your vision. He's going to destroy what God has for you. If you listen to him, he will destroy all that God wants to do in you. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He came to make sure that when we make the mistake with Sarai, that Pharaoh is not going to lay with her. He came to make sure that the things that we do when we try to solve it ourselves, that he's going to prevent his plan from being messed up by us, and then he's going to allow us to move back into his plan and be used by him to his glory. I mean, I don't know about you, but that is good news. That is good news. And that day by day by day, God is committed to helping me grow and develop and maturity in him to be used by him to glorify his name. And that's true for every one of us in this room. And I want you to be encouraged by that. He has a plan for you. Respond to that and then know that he is going to use you. And it's not going to be about your capabilities. It's not going to be about your success rate. He doesn't measure failure and success rate and figure out who he's going to choose based on the probabilities. I mean, God knows us, God created us, and God is committing to help us continue to develop in him till the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, just how we can see in Abram's life, your um, willingness to continue to love him and to lead him, to um, develop him, to help him grow in faith, to allow him to go through situations that will be learning experiences for him so that he can continue to grow in you. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here that as we continue to go through our lives, that we would recognize those learning experiences that you're allowing us to go through. And that we would know that those are learning experiences, that our walk with you is a journey, not a destination. And that we will continually be... um, Strengthening in you, perfected in you, and more equipped in you to do that which you are calling us to do. And Lord, we want to be people that uh, respond to you in that way, that allow us to use us, however you choose, for your glory. And we just want to give it to you, Father, and, and uh, offer ourselves according to the power of a risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. amen.